0: Hello and welcome along to On The Whistle. This is a very special episode, not just because I have the Christmas tree behind me and it's November. This is our 200th episode of the podcast. Drum roll, please. Some didn't even think we'd be here for 10, but we're here for 200. And I have the privilege of being your host. I'm Zain Nabi. Joining me are two of the originals who are part of the On The Whistle podcast that started almost four years ago. We have Francis Nkwain, who still looks as pristine as he did when he was in his 20s, when this podcast started. Um, Francis, always the best looking, always the smartest thinking, always the most urbane. And we still have Courtney, who brings the joy, brings the spirit, does the hard yards, treks on the field. Um, The lovable Courtney Freeze, again, another original, who... um, who, who was saying that he didn't predict we'd go more than ten episodes?
1: I didn't think it's like, right. and I even thought <laughs> ten full order. Oh God, we in trouble.
0: <laughs> but listen, like the Manning Rangers team you used to play in that won the Premier Soccer League, once we got in a role, we got in a role, right?
1: you go, my man. Momentum was created. The quality was brought together. We added a bit of youth in it as well with the, the, the handsome man at the top, Mr. Alistair Howarth, the Blackburn supporter. And and that just created the, 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 the moving on. That just created momentum.
0: Absolutely, right? Like all great teams need an infusion of energy um, and youth. And that's what Alistair Howarth brought. The Kenyan... Uh, our cross-platform reporter, our man who goes and writes for all the top publications out there, um, Al Jazeera, CNN, uh, The Guardian, you know, all these fancy places that only Francis reads, um, you know, where the rest of us stick to the tabloids. Uh, but um, but listen, Ali, a pleasure that we've got you on and making sure that another part of the continent was wrapped.
2: Absolutely. And let me tell you guys the power of and the growth of African football, because as you can see today, I'm wearing I'm wearing my local six aside teams uh, home kit, which for those of you who are familiar with the PSL is is Super Sport United's kit, um, which which my own my own six aside team now now wears. And let me tell you, it's completely independent of me. I I was telling Courtney this last week that, that this team I joined up with. They were like, oh, we've got these kits we use, and they sh- rock up and show me a Supersport United kit. And let me tell you, they couldn't believe me when I said, actually, you know, I, I run a podcast. And on it, we've interviewed the CEO,
3: the head coach
2: twice, <laughs> the former captain, and a few other players. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing the, the, the growth of African football. And, you know, one day we'll be seeing Supersport United kits, along with plenty of others. Uh, Golden Arrows and 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 Meritsburg United as well all, we e- everywhere uh, around around the continent and beyond.
0: There we go. And, and listen, at its inception, this podcast was about celebrating our heroes, sitting around the and having authentic conversations. You know, we we like to say we're Africa's biggest brine, but at its core, we've always wanted to be Pan-African. We've wanted to represent the continent. I know internally we have jokes with Francis and and Alistair about. Um, how how much stuff we do on the South African football? Not our fault. We have the best league on the continent, with with arguably the best team in Mamalodi Sundowns. Um, <laughs> um, but you know one of one of the the, the beauties of this um, this uh, this podcast is we w- were able to maybe go and tell a few untold stories. And something that came from you, Francis, very early on was on the African Tens. And we got a legend by the name of Kalusha Bwalya, a fantastic man up front, a creator, a scorer, um, led the Zambian team with such distinction as a player and as the head of a federation. Um, a star in the 1996 AFCON, a star at the 88 Olympics, if I'm correct. Um, and, you know, that when we were picking our highlights, because this is what the show is about, we're going to pick some of our favorite clips. I know, Francis, for you, the clip with Kalusha was uh, was something that, that you liked. And I think before we get your reaction, Ali, I think we should play it because it's about Kalusha talking about his move to Europe, move to Belgium, where he was trying to make it as a player on trial uh, at Cirque Brugge. Something I've asked many players about when they went to the Europe the first time what was the first thing that struck them? I remember with Benny McCarthy. I remember with Mido. Um, and they were both particularly, the weather was a complete culture shock for them. When you came to Europe, what was it for you?
4: It was the weather. Uh, I, um, I went to Seco in 1985 around October. Uh, and so if you know Africa, Zambia, it's the hottest month. And then I go to Europe and it's muddy, it's it's raining. I don't know what happened, but (laughs) the weather was cruel, you know, (laughs) that time. (laughs) So I go for trials (laughs) and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, um, Zane, the the first match, they say, okay, we have to see you in in after about training for three, four days. we say, we're going to play a friendly match. We played uh, from Bruges, we go to, to Liege, uh, which is like uh, two hours by by bus, and then when we reached there, we played uh, at around three or three o'clock, um, or is it four o'clock? It was just a practice match, and the pitch was muddy, and it, you know it had rained, and the pitch was muddy, and it, you know, and you know in Africa we play all the time with plastic. I don't know what name you maybe you want to use it, the multi studs mm-hmm. that we play with. So so I was wearing my my multi studded boot. And, and then I was falling all over the place. I was falling. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think in the first half, I touched the ball maybe maybe once in 45 minutes. I touched the ball maybe once and then the guy said, look, why don't you change your, your shoes? So they gave me, you can imagine, you know, Holland and Belgium. And the boy is hanging in there. Ah, uh, the ball got heavier, my boots were, you know, were killing me. And so after the game, I said to myself, hey, maybe this is not for me. Uh, maybe I'm not supposed to be a professional football player. Maybe it's better to, to go home, uh, really. And uh, the people were saying, I remember they asked, even in another language that you don't understand, even if they, they spoke Flemish or they spoke French, the people asked, hey, how, how did the new player do? And the people were shaking their heads, they can't play. They can't literally play. <laughs> so that was my trip back. Now in 12 sitting in the bus, you know, thinking it's the biggest mistake of my career to move because you know I was known in Zambia playing, and now I was in Belgium, and coming from this friendly match, not not having touched the ball, probably touched the ball forty-five minutes, first forty-five minutes once in the second half, maybe three, four times, uh, not one go
0: on target. The great Kalusha Bwalia there retelling his story about his first trial in Europe. And I know, Francis, this stood out to you.
5: It did. You know, and uh, firstly, even before I get into that, I want to say what a pleasure it is, you know, being able to be with you guys for the 200th time. Um, But this particular memory uh, or this particular clip stuck out for me because of it symbolizes for me what exactly this, our platform, has come to be an opportunity or, or a place where people are sharing their very, very human stories. You know, this is a talent that now, when we speak of him, and even at the time when people spoke of him, nobody would imagine that these were the realities of the challenge about a a young man leaving the geography in which he was accustomed to being a star. Nobody questioned whether he was a good player. He was good enough in his home turf to be able to be recruited in Belgium at a time where these moves were exceptionally for the exceptional. And he comes in, and because of the challenges of acclimatization, these human elements were a simple thing as maybe even the shoes you wear Uh, how they, whether the rain fell the day before you demonstrate your wares, so to speak. Um, This element stood out for me because in the game today, we don't give a lot of opportunity to understanding these challenges, these human challenges that a lot of the talent has. And sometimes it's even coaches, you know, or young players or older players going into another space where he alludes to the issues around language. You know, like people are speaking about you and you don't know what it is that they're saying and you're having to figure it out almost. The good point about the story is that he himself could tell what they were probably saying about him because he had experienced it himself. But he doesn't know and didn't know in that moment exactly what was being said about him. But he could easily have been Just told, go home, you're not good enough. And the world may not have seen the Kalusha Boile that we came to appreciate. Uh, Belgium may not have been privileged enough to have him show them the magic that he had at his feet. So this human element for me, I, I found extremely captivating, you know, and I'm very honored that we create the environment in which exceptional talents like this can share with us their human stories, that our audience get the opportunity to delve into the minds, the experiences of these people who otherwise are just known for the goals they've scored, the trophies they've won. So the ability to get this behind the curtains peek at them, where they're doubting themselves or they're sharing with us the, the the falls and not just the peaks of their life. Um, for me, I think makes the magic of OTW personally. And that's why on this great day, when we come together to reminisce and look back a little bit, it was that particular interview that stood out for me amongst many, 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 I mean, like it, this was just because um, uh, you, Zane, and Alistair kind of like stuck the, a gun to my head, and to pick one, you know. No, so, we we have hey, so, so many know. highlights,
0: right? This is the beauty of yes. the podcast, exactly. Um, exactly. And you know, when you mentioned Kalusha, it was oh my, we've had him on. You know, the great Kalu was here, the top scorer of the '96 Afcon, the man who has part of the Zambian team that got rebuilt after the plane crash, the man who was at the helm um, when they won the Afcon twelve years or not was it twelve years after? Um, the, the, the it was no it was much longer. Um, after the plane crash, yes. but you know it was um, it was all these amazing things that came back, and that podcast was so interesting as well because we learnt about the likes of Bebo and the great tens that the continent has ever heard of, and Kalusha was able to give us insight on on yes. on going to plane in Cairo. Um, and I can't remember if it was versus Egypt or Al akhli but you yeah. got a sense of what. great player
5: he was he was you know so again like you say it's those those moments that stick out in the head that we've Mm -hmm. been so privileged to have this caliber of people sit around the (laughs) board share with us not just the stories that are sensationalist Mm -hmm. and maybe make or made the headlines in their day but just to speak about them as people Mm -hmm. their own takes on the game how they Mm -hmm. see it the challenges that they've had um we touch on some of the successes but it's that human element and i can't stress that enough that has been my pride till present that we have created a space a safe space where uh stellar names of our continent and beyond feel comfortable enough to share with us their stories and through us share that story with the continent share that story with the world because as you always point out to us, we are listened to and watched beyond South Africa. So, <laughs> but yes, we'd like, to, we'd like
0: to think so. We'd like to think so. Um, no, 100% Francis. And, and look, to celebrate our heroes and to meet them just allows us to really um, learn more about them and, you know, really honor their legacy and honor and honor what they're about and, you know, Carlo is one of those guys that we were so happy to have here, and we'd love to bring him back in future. It's been four years, so um it's time it's time we bring him back for for more stories. But moving on to another highlight, I know that we have a Liverpool fan on the podcast by the name of Courtney Fries, um, who has a surname that perhaps matches his attire because it looks like um like Kalusha. He's just come to the UK for the first time, he's so cold, uh, looking like Rocco over there. Um, but Courtney, before I give away um, your, um, your 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 club, um, you picked Bruce Grobler, uh, the former Zimbabwean and Liverpool goalkeeper, um, a man with a cult following, a man with a very colourful life, a man with, with lots of stories. Um, and being a Liverpool fan, this the anecdote that he gave us was about how he believes he led to Liverpool's first Premier League title success by ending a curse on the club. Take a listen to this. In
6: 1992, I had a testimonial for Liverpool. I was sponsored by our lager in Zimbabwe called the Zambezi lager. So for the whole year, they gave me crate loads of beer that that when I had dinners, I could put these on the table and everybody would drink up and be merry. And my testimonial was at Anfield. And they sent the witch doctor because they've got a witch doctor with uh, Zambezi Lava. And I didn't know if, if he was a real one or whatever. But before the game, he went and he got all his uh, Mushonga, his Muti, and he went and splashed it on the posts. Cop end first, and then he went down the Anfield Road end. And then he got the mic and he said to the fans, there were 32,33,000 people. If you don't have Bruce Grobbler, the jungle man here at Anfield, you won't win the league again. And that was in 1992. Do you tell me if uh, the thing doesn't work? Because when Stevie G slipped, remember when he slipped and we came second? Yes, it just- I
0: remember it very well. Courtney, because he's a Liverpool fan, will remember it even better than me.
6: So, Courtney, before that game, I had this inkling that, and this itchy feeling that because I've been away in Canada and I've come back and I thought, what, is it, what, what, what if this witch doctor is, is right and we haven't won this thing? And then I remembered, what do you do if your witch doctor actually does anything on the posts? You get your guys to go and pee on the posts. And because it was my testimonial, I knew that I had to go and pee on the post. So I went into the toilet with a water bottle, poured the water out, peed in the bottle, put the top on. And when we went out onto the pitch, on the cop end, I poured the water, the, the pee down the post and down the post. And then splashed it over the top on the crossbow, put the top on, put it in the middle of the goal. We, we played the first half. Now they scored, we scored, so it was 1 1 at half time. We switch over to the other side, and I did exactly the same. Right? We still level 1 1. Finish the game, penalties. Penalties, one penalty each, sudden death. So we scored. I've done my business with the post on that side and splashed it. I end up saving the penalty that side. We win the Corporate Cup. And from that day until now, Liverpool first team have not lost a league game at Anfield. So you tell me if it's not right or wrong. Bruce Mabla, ever the raconteer, make what you will
0: of how he ended the Liverpool curse. Courtney, talk to us about that anecdote. Talk to us about what you remember of our time with Brucey.
1: Well, well. Firstly, you know when you think of you think of Europe, you think of first worldness. You think of all these um, these these, these te- technological aspects. Never did I think a curse would be broken by urine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it was that simple, Francis. I mean, all these years of dominance from United might never have existed.
1: <laughs> uh, of course, I'm just you know I, I as you know I. Play football and we used to play football and we had a witch doctor and we had things we used to do and baths with medicines we used to jump in but i never thought that you know bruce krobler would come to england uh the thing about bruce Krobler uh, that we found is that his openness and honesty was just wonderful to listen to you know this is a mega star playing at the possibly the biggest club during that era between the 70s and 80s most successful during that time, and there's this uh, African gentleman from Rhodesia at the time, now we know it as Zimbabwe, who was not just a good player for them, a highly successful player. And I mentioned his honesty as Zayn, because there's another thing he mentioned about the fight between him and Steve McManaman, uh in the derby game, which a lot of people think he had a problem with McManaman. Yet that wasn't the problem. He had a problem with uh, Mark Walters that didn't close down the ball. And he said McManaman was just closer to him. So he started fighting with him. He had no problem with him at all. <laughs> you know, it's just that <laughs> of honesty. And I'm also going to say that level of k thinking mixed with a bit of, you know, too much bravado. He was just a fantastic person to listen to. Um, and Wow. Did you ever think a curse could be broken that way
2: let me tell you we've been talking a lot recently about you know everton being sanctioned you know city mm. and chelsea cheating these guys have been wasting hundreds of millions of pounds these guys just need to hire this this same witch witch doctor that this Zambezi beer had because <laughs> you know that they'll, they'll, they'll be cleaning up titles
0: <laughs> exactly where do you go with that where do you go well well listen i think we like to celebrate our heroes we like to also hear funny and um and entertaining and quirky anecdotes that bruce gave but i remember one of the anecdotes that stood out was a guest that you know really well francis benoit asawakoto and when we were brainstorming about people to bring on um you had suggested Benoit's a beautiful mind i remember that was the phrase like he's a beautiful mind and you know, he doesn't think like a normal footballer thinks. And he um, still is. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but he's I... getting even more beautiful. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get back on. <laughs> but,
0: but before I get to the anecdote, I, I just wanted to to, um, to ask you why you think he's so interesting and entertaining, Francis.
5: Now, in, in the journey of, of in, in football so far, Um, he stands out to me as one of the most independent-minded people I have met. And this is not about his opinion on football or the way he played the game or his approach to... It's just as a human being. His outlook on things is truly phenomenal and just different. Um, And he has a way of explaining them with a certain logic and simplicity um, that whilst... Nuanced when you actually look at it comes natural to him, and that's why when we started this and we were speaking like you already said about the different people who could have on, we were very clear that we also wanted people who had something to impart, and that could also not just do the typical answers to basic questions and tell you it was a game of two halves and that kind of stuff, and that's why we reached out to him to say, please come and share some of your takes on things with us. And he remains that person and he's remained a friend to on the whistle through the years. Um, Always. He actually logs in and watches and will send me messages afterwards and say, Oh, I was listening in on the one the other day. And this person said this, Um, you guys should have pressured him to actually say his truth. And I'd be like, what truth do you know? (laughs) I was like, we need right. to figure out maybe bring him in as like a, a, an editor or a, a person doing the questioning one day with who he knows some things about, who when he asks a question might say an answer that the world's supposed to hear, and he can go,
0: <laughs> Here's the clip where he talks about why he buys his own boots. Take a listen to this because it isn't quite the answer you would have expected.
1: I've got to ask you. I read an article about you uh, about a year ago. About you, you purchase your own football boots off eBay. Yeah. Well, explain to me why, as a professional, when you could have been sponsored, why would okay. you do that?
7: Okay, is what we is what we talking about a few minutes ago. And I used to speak with a friend who play in Cameroon, who play for Cameroon. We used to play for Cameroon. And um, the sponsor is more gen- generous. You understand very generous? Yeah, yes. generous. Yeah, with,
1: very generous. Yes.
7: With uh, European people and South African, South American people. Because their business is in Europe and the player from South America, they have they a good publicity, so they are okay to deal with them. But Africa, they are, yeah, okay, you wear this kind of, uh, we give you a sponsor like that. There is not another sponsor who will give you the shoes, but about the money, is going to be different. And I, when I spoke with my friend who used to play for Cameroon, he said, I said, but why you sign with them if they pay you less as the guy on the bench? And my friend told me, yeah, but they give me, uh, <laughs> they give me money in cash. I said, yeah, maybe you are happy now, but you will not help your little brother in a few years.
6: Mm.
7: who will come because the people who work for this sponsor will see your little brother as you. I say, oh, thank you. You give me money in cash. I am happy with. And it's not good for African people. So that's why I said, okay, you know what? Give your sponsor. I don't need it. There is no reason as you give me a sponsor, I'm stuck with you. And you give less money as uh, as the man on the bench let me buy my shoes if Monday I want to play with Nike I play with Nike if Monday I want to play with Adidas I play with Adidas and I and I am free (laughs) I
1: I, I love I love the fact that you said I am free because players become caged by their contracts exactly Uh, and
7: if uh, if he's a gold cage cool mm to give me a little thing and and see me like the little African, I say, man, I'm not a little African. I'm proud, but I'm not a little African. Let me free. Keep your money.
8: Um,
7: I think of all the people
0: that have come on the pod and, you know, Benoit sat for over an hour when he came with us. You know, Benny McCarthy sat for over an hour. Owen de Gama, the South African coach in the Premier Soccer League, sat for almost two hours, you know, Um, And one of the funnier ones um, was that when we lined up an interview with Stanley Matthews, and and Courtney's laughing at this because I don't think you were on it, Francis, or or, or Alistair, and he's the CEO of Supersport. And one of the things we do at on the whistle is we speak to people and people tell their truths. So in the Bruce Grobler interview, he made some allegations about Supersport and about how Pizzo Massimane had stabbed him in the back and that's why he lost his job, and he 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 hadn't been paid by Supersport, and all these types of things. So we went to give Supersport the right to apply. Many years later, right? We're almost talking fifteen, twenty years after something has happened, but we still have to do it, right? That's that's part of part of our story. So <clears throat> there I am asking Stanley Matthews these questions, uh, and then we book him for the pod a couple of months later, or Courtney does. I don't think Stanley realizes I'm going to be there hosting it. And we jump on. And Stanley, um, and I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story, gets a little serious and he goes, I only have 20 to 30 minutes. I've got to pick my my, my daughter up from an event or his son up. I couldn't remember. And then we started the pod. And Courtney will remember this. I don't know if Stanley forgot about his kid, but he was there over an hour. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. But this is it, right? We make it fun. We make it a braai. We make it somewhere where you can congregate and just have a special, special time. And ultimately, you guys know this, right? We are a megaphone for the continent. We're a megaphone for the players, the legends, and the fans. And we're also a megaphone for diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of view, because we're not all monolithic as much as we are reflecting a pan-African view. We'll all have different views. And that is the beauty of what we have here as we're a melting pot and representative of our continent.
5: It stands in the you said, you know, we are Pan African because it's from the many that comes to one. So it's that diversity that we represent and it's allowing people the opportunity to have opinions and espouse them and, and, and share them with people. And I think I mean just to go back to like what you were saying about the exchange with with Benoit and, and Courtney touching on the fact that it's like it's these human conversations. I can't say that enough. That, I think, is what is the most exciting thing about um, On The Whistle. We speak, football is our subject. It's our currency. But we all know that you South African guys love your rugby as well. But uh, <laughs> number of cricket conversations that also get thrown in. I'm like, oh, hey, in Cameroon, no other sport. Just for- <laughs> I don't think anybody's seen a rugby ball, but that's by the way. <laughs> But again, it's kind of like we use football, I want to believe. Football is, it's the door that opens up this massive house, this beautiful home. And then in that home, we've created this little kitchen around which we're doing this braai. And there's a mama, you know, you know, spicing up the meat over there. There's a young brother over here tapping on the coal. And there's a lot going on. But at the end of it, it's honest conversations in a familiar space. And I think that's why the gentleman can come on, 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 on the pod with you and not forget about his son, but know that what he's doing mm. is engaging, that even his son can listen to it later on and go, Dad, I can see why you left me at school. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: wonderful. It was wonderful. And You know, Francis, one of the things that we've really opened up is our coverage on women's football. And, you know, the beauty is we have a women's football editor at large, Infrao's Munda, who's also an amazing cricket journalist. And she's taken some time off after the Cricket World Cup. She's still in India. That's why she's not joining us today. Um, Alistair's come on and, you know, been to a WAFCON. He's gone to um, a CAF Women's Champions League uh, final set of games And Ali, you know, in the build-up to the Women's World Cup, we were doing a lot of content around some of the key themes. Morocco's rise, Banyana Banyana being the champs. But the team, you know, and maybe this pains me to say it being a South African, is, you know, Nigeria, the Super Falcons, who have set the bar in women's football for so long on the continent, going into the tournament with one of, you know, the game's absolute superstars in Asisat Oshwala. And you did an interview with the head coach, Randy Waldrum, at the time. And before I get you to unpack on that, I think I'd like to play an exchange because Randy was very open. He was very candid about some of the challenges that he was experiencing and the Super Falcons uh, before they went to the tournament.
3: But I had hoped that one of the reasons they brought me in was to help implement some change in the way they do business and that i could have instituted some change for our players you know where they're getting paid regularly and they're not sitting overnight at airports waiting on uh, a connecting leg just because it was a cheaper flight you know like let's get them on a flight that gets them with the least amount of connections and time at the airport to our destination and i I was hoping i was going to be able to help Influence and and some change and unfortunately, that's not the case. The NFF is not interested in that um, and That's if I have a disappointment That's been my one big disappointment and that's why I re, you know I recently have spoken out a little bit about some of the things that are going on is because um, You know once this is over and I leave um, You know you'd like to think you had a small piece of influence and in way things are done for the future so That's probably been my biggest disappointment. Um, You know, obviously, we'd like to have better results, but I'm sure you and I will get into that a little bit here in our conversation. But, um, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest cultural aspect that I've had to deal with.
2: Mm, absolutely and and you know just on that you know talking about the federation you're saying you know one of the reasons why you stuck stuck with that job and it with Pitt was that kind of security as well you know and we know the players obviously you know you know for for the listeners who don't know at the last women's afcon you know after the semi-final they went on strike for a couple days because they weren't getting paid you know throughout your time with nigeria do you mind me asking have you been paid every time? Have you, has that all been on your end sorted out? Have you had any issues in that regard?
3: No, it's been nothing but a constant issue. I mean, up until about three weeks ago, um, I have been owed 14 months of salary uh, up until about three weeks ago. And then three weeks ago, they paid seven months of that Uh salary to catch me up. Before that, the year and a half, two years before that, the salary, it was the same thing. I'd go five, six months without anything and then they'd pay you a little bit of it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing. So starting July, we'll be eight months you know, behind in salary. And I think we still have players that, look, we, we still have players that haven't been paid uh, per diem and bonuses for two years ago when we came to America and played in the summer series against the US and Portugal and Jamaica and those. We still have players that haven't, been caught up to speed with that you know um the players my understanding is the players got paid finally um many months later for afcon but um the other events that we've been at you know they haven't, haven't they haven't been paid so it's it's a travesty and
0: that was randy waldrum the uh super falcons coach you were hearing from the not often you have anybody speaking that candidly ahead of a tournament um and Alistair I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you in but I have to say when you look at what Nigeria did at the Women's World Cup where they were penalties away from beating England who were finalists I mean any other coach any other players I'm not sure would have had the motivation and pride to have done what they did I mean what was it like when you were doing that interview I mean I don't think you expected it to go this way
2: no i certainly I certainly didn't expect him to open up I mean especially working as a journalist you know you you have you have to ask these questions you, you try and get the answers and you know it's a bit of a dance whereas you know coach Randy credit to him he was he he came out swinging and and I think that's you know like you said in the context of how brilliantly the super Falcons did I mean I don't want to give too many spoilers but we have we, we we've got a an interview lined up with one of the stars of of their journey down under um but you know it was brilliant what they did, but I think it's also super important to to highlight the kind of the the the, the challenges that coexist along with the excellence. Because you know, although we you know we want to celebrate all the, the brilliance that comes from our continent, we want to celebrate the the ability, the skill, the talent, the passion. You know, we have to we have to call out and we have to hold to account those who are who are working in their own self interest and not not promoting that and not. You know, in the same way how Asa Okato, you know, he's calling out the 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 um, companies for not sponsoring. Them. I think we need to do the same. And I think it was really great to to ha- be be a space for for uh, Randy to come on and speak speak. You know, um, it's really common, sadly, for for you know coaches to not get the money they're owed, and it, not not just on the continent, but you know, one of the biggest you know stories we've been seeing over the last few weeks is you know Pitomase Mane, you know, who who recently left his job at Alwata, You know, he he was, he was sacked from the job in Al-Akhli in Saudi Arabia and wasn't paid for six months. You know, this, this country that has billions to spend and offered Mar- uh, Marco Silva, 40 million pounds, uh, then, you know, a couple of days after sacking pizza, um, uh, without paying him for six months and and i think it's important that we highlight these stories and i think it's you know it's it's part, part of the narrative because you know if we are going to get better and i think w- we we like to think of ourselves as being a small part of that picture of, of developing the game of building up african football so that one day we're not just celebrating a, a morocco in the semifinal, but we're celebrating a uh well mm-hmm. i mean from my and Francis's perspective god forbid a south african world cup win but um, <laughs> <laughs> um but i think we you know in order to get there we have to be we have to hold those who are who are holding players back to account we have to hold those who are holding football back to account on our, on our continent and beyond and, and so yeah it was we really appreciated uh, coach coach randy coming on and and you know bringing down the tone i guess of the podcast because we like to be a, a lighthearted podcast but on, sometimes indeed. we need to get serious
0: Absolutely. And there was an incredible amount of uh, media pickup on that. A lot of reporters um, citing that interview from us, from the BBC to The Guardian, The Athletic, obviously huge in Nigeria, with Pulse and a heap of others just, um, you know, um, using the content that we we had provided there. Um, And again, you know, we're a safe place for people to come and talk. We like to talk to people about what they're passionate about. We like to talk to them about you know what motivates them what makes them get up in the morning or if they want to get a message out there we can be the platform for it and again i probably haven't said this enough on this part i think it's the first time i'm saying this but none of our content is old on on the whistle it's vintage it's evergreen it's great archive content that you can tune into any time you want so if you want to hear more about Bruce Grobler, if you want to hear more from randy waldrum Benoit Asawakota or Kalusha Bwalia. Go into the pod, whether you want it on YouTube, whether you want to find it on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, just go and search our catalog. It'll be there. And I promise you, on a sleepless night, you'll be entertained. You won't go to bed, but you'll feel better because we're so entertaining. Um, And obviously, for those Munda couldn't join us today, our women's football editor at large, but it would remiss of me not to talk about her interview with Janine van Veik, um, the South African legend um, who's waiting to set the world record. Um, and because of a snafu in the last women's game, she didn't get on, but we certainly hope that that changes. Um, but Janine is one of the stalwarts of South African football. She didn't go to the Women's World Cup, but really has helped build the game in South Africa and beyond. And here's a clip of her talking about her role, the sport in South Africa, and uh, some of the, the strides they've made.
8: I mean, you spoke about Africa and you mentioned Nigeria and Cameroon. Can I ask specifically about Morocco? I mean, obviously, you beat them to, to win the AFCON, uh, but they seem to be flying, women and men. You know, they've got girls playing in, in English leagues and the men are doing so well. Are they doing something particularly different? And, and do you expect them to go pretty far at the World Cup? Morocco is a flying African country at the moment. And that is because they are so well invested in their teams. Um mm-hmm. from development structures up until their first their first teams, their men's and women's teams. I mean, we were in Morocco for the African Women's Cup of Nations and we we went and trained at their facility, their national facility, mm-hmm. and it was Top, top notch it was like you were in a European country um, sure. they they had so many fields their gym facilities they they you could see that they're really really investing in their teams and their players um, hmm. and it all comes from you know playing play investments, player development from a young age and getting the right structure right um, and it's something that we are currently lacking as so that because we don't have many. Developing um, structures, especially for girls. If we're looking at yeah. girls specifically, women specifically, we don't have. It's just right now that we have the top teams playing in the hollywood Bet Super League, and we have the Sasser League, that's been, you know, a women's <laughs> football pioneer for so for so many years. But what is happening below those below those leagues? It's it's really nothing. Is you have so many girls that are now interested in playing yeah. the game but they are still playing with boys, which is not a bad thing because I think it actually increases your performance playing with the boys, but there are no structures there. There are coaches, educators put in place for these girls to actually learn mm. and educate themselves about the game. It's yeah. it's one thing of the, the girls just putting being put on a football field and playing, but are they actually learning to play the game? Mm. And that is the mm. difference between where Morocco has got it right and where we still are currently lacking.
0: And who would have thought, Courtney? She's saying that Morocco are doing well. Shock, horror, France is a South African looking elsewhere.
6: Well, yeah, shock, shock, shock.
5: Right. we all know I don't think anybody can take away from what Morocco are doing Hundred and on this part we, we know that as a fact we have celebrated and highlighted as much as possible wherever possible the magic of what it is that they're producing over there and it's great to hear one of the greatest in the game also highlighting that her nation could take a leaf out of that book to advance their cause On home turf,
0: well, Moroccan football has been thriving, and it's been a pleasure to watch that from afar and watch that up close, whether it's on the women's and the men's sides. And for those of you who are listening out, again, this is our two hundredth episode anniversary. We're so proud. On the whistle, your home for African football, Africa's biggest pride. We're still here. We're not going anywhere. We're looking forward to going into year five in twenty twenty four and getting bigger and better. Um, And if you have any thoughts on how we can do that, please let us know on our social media accounts, otw underscore podcast and Twitter and Instagram. Also, feel free to leave a comment on YouTube and Facebook. Just search for the On The Whistle podcast uh, uh, um, uh, channels. Um, And we would love to hear from you.